Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from Chico Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. Now, if a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as the program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week, we contemplate a devotional inspired by the name of one of the cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This week's devotional is inspired by The Focus, which is one of the smallest in the cross collection. I mean, the overall image is the same, but the cross itself is maybe 100 feet away. I am crouched low to the ground, shooting through the tall summer yellow grass. The cross is a bit out of focus, but this only amplified the last light of the sun reflecting off the cross. The amplification of light comes from a long exposure as the sun had actually set, but the long, slightly overexposed image created an illusion that the cross was glowing. Today we will focus on a hymn by Isaac Watts entitled, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. And this hymn touches on the core essence of my book, this devotional program, and the subject of my ministry, which is, what does the cross mean to me? And to the listener of this program right now, what does the cross mean to you? There are a lot of ways I can assist you in the formation of that answer for you. But at the end of the day, it will be personal to you. That said, it can't hurt to hear my own answer as you slowly make your own conclusion. One logical place to start is regarding how I lost my young wife to cancer. I had no time to prepare myself or to be able to say goodbye as she was here one day and gone the next. Now, I was a new young adult Christian when I met Verna, a lady of God from a neighboring church. We began dating, which for me meant visiting her family for the evening, or going to church together with the family. We never had a traditional date. She was known as Preacher Vern, serving as president of her Bible club at school. And we were married right after her high school graduation when she was 19. We had a full life together until God took her home when she was 24. That change of life led me to a quest to find soak in and shoot sunsets, which led me to the cross. Now, I never, as they say, questioned God or became bitter. 
not even for a second. Instead, I started a contemplative quest to feel what I felt when she flatlined. The glimpse into eternity I saw with the vision that I saw and the presence of God and the connection with her in heaven. This quest manifested for me in Chasing Sunsets as a way to tap into additional little glimpses of heaven, to taste even momentarily once every few days or once every few weeks, to sense her spirit and the God who gently took her hand from mine. I simply wanted to sit and soak in the sunset as long as possible, as often as possible. That mindset led me to the hill with the cross on it, which I made my secret place, my hiding place, an area to be truly alone and truly connected to the Trinity. Then I began shooting that cross over and over again for several years, and the cross collection emerged. The picture I'm trying to paint with that description of my quest and what it led me to, and is leading me towards still, was because of God's choice to usher her home ahead of us. And here is what the cross means to me. Because she accepted the sacrifice Jesus made in the cross, she did not really die. He simply took her to another dimension where heaven is. I've said all that to segue back to the devotional and the hymn by Isaac Watts. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did it ever such a love and sorrow meet, or thones compose so rich a crown? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all? In the first line of the hymn, it states, When I survey the wondrous cross, If I am to map out the cross, I need surveying tools. Primary would be the Bible, and secondarily would be the leading of the Holy Spirit. Your life experiences as well will filter your assessment of the cross, but our differing perceptions should not prevent us from agreeing that there is something more than just special about the cross of Christ. Isaac Watts refers to us as wondrous which is defined as extraordinary or extraordinary, or in other words, not ordinary at all, beyond ordinary. Upon contemplation, I can translate the first line as examining the miraculous and wondrous cross of the Messiah. That is how I perceive it in regards to the wonder it engenders. There is a cross video I posted on YouTube a slideshow of the cross with a song entitled I Wander As I Wonder by John Jacob Niles. It is the theme song to my years shooting that cross and a song that is a theme song for my ministry. The first set of lines states, I wonder as I wander out under the sky. 
how Jesus did come for to die. For poor, ornery people like you and like I. As I said, the entire time I spent upon that ridge was under a very expansive sky, as I was over 200 feet above the valley floor. My horizon line was vast, and I could enjoy a sunset well after the valley was in deep shade. And to be there while contemplating on the aspects of what the sacrifice Jesus made and getting lost in wonder of the implications for my late wife and the implications for my new life. Which circles us back to the second line. Isaac Watts continues by saying, On which the Prince of Glory died. I find it a fitting title for the Son of the Creator of the Universe, a part of the Trinity from before all of creation laid aside aspects of his immortal attributes and became a mortal man so he could die for us. Simultaneously, man and God. He endured death for condemned sinners and then re-entered his lifeless body. It says in 2 Corinthians 2, 7, and 8 that we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In the third line, Isaac Watts changes the focus to himself by saying, My richest gain I count as loss. I'm reminded of Philippians 1.21. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It also says in Colossians 3.1, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Why? Because it says in Matthew 6.20, But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. But rather, seek to obtain the wisdom of the kingdom of God, because Proverbs 16.16 reminds us of how better it is to get wisdom than gold. Also, Jesus said in Luke 9.25, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? The last line of the first stanza states, And pour contempt on all my pride. Now, it seems obvious to despise and disdain our pride to the point of disposing it, to the point of banishing it, from our interaction with others and with ourselves. But the dictionary defines the contempt as willful disobedience to or open disrespect of an authority. But what authority? By what authority? Could it be to disobey our Adamic nature? To actively dispose our natural tendency to consider ourselves and our own needs above the needs of others? In Proverbs 16, 18, it says, Pride leads to destruction and arrogance to downfall. 
Another translation says, too much pride will destroy you. Therefore, we must stay humble, grateful, and dependent on God. Now we move on to the first and second lines of the second stanza, which says, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. In the Bible, it says the wages of sin is death. Moreover, if we again go back to the Garden of Eden, did not God forbid Adam from eating the fruit of the tree of good and evil? And that if they did, they would surely die? And yet, God, through sacrificing his son, the second Adam has given us new life and restored us to a right relationship with God. Through Christ and his possession of the keys to death, hell, and the grave, we now have eternal life and faith that we will spend eternity in heaven. What else is there? What can we boast about? What about who we are, what we have done, or what we can do will ever compare with what Jesus did and went through for us and for you? Isaac Watts asked God to forbid him from boasting about anything other than his son's sacrifice on the cross. Paul elaborates about this and validates these hymn verses in Galatians 6.14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In lines 3 and 4, Of the second stanza, Isaac Watts writes, All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Now we're getting to the good part of the good news of the gospel, as in the good news of Good Friday. Good Friday? Why would anyone name that day when Christ died on the cross as good? And why would the founding fathers of our faith make this leg of the three-legged tripod such a central part of the tripod of our faith? Yes, Jesus had been born in a miraculous way. And yes, if he had not risen from the grave, our religion would just be a philosophy with really colorful and a really cool backstory. But as I have been sharing the last few episodes, something earth-shattering and history-changing happened on that cross. Just as history is defined for the Hebrews as when the death angel was killing every firstborn in the land of Egypt, except for the homes with the blood on their doorpost, blood from a perfect lamb. And yes, the Bible and founding fathers of our faith make a compelling case that Jesus is the Lamb of God, the perfect sacrifice for the sins of the world. For those who accept the sacrifice and allow themselves to be cleansed through the blood of Jesus. Now in lines 1, 2, and of course the third stanza, Isaac Watts writes, See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. And yet something happened beyond the physical torture he endured leading up to the cross. No, something much more, something more significant than any other historical event across the span of human existence. 
Many disciples, apostles, founding fathers, saints, and theologians believe he died not just of a broken heart, but a shredded spirit. Jesus allowed himself to be nailed on the cross, and yes, there was blood from the beatings, beard pulling, and scourging, even before they drove the huge nails through the bones of his upper wrists and upper ankles. But some say there have been something a little more special about the blood emanating from the knotted crown of large thorns, jabbed in so hard I'm surprised it did not break through his skull. Maybe it did. That would have been a lot of blood. And yet, these lines infer that the blood was mingled with sorrow, not for himself, but for people like the bad thief, the Romans who beat him, and even the members of the priest class like Caiaphas or Annas. Spoiler alert, it is his deep desire to see as many saved, to be saved as possible, even for you, dear listener. And here's the bonus. Jesus would have done it even if it was just for you. In lines three and four of the third stanza, Isaac Watts writes, Did ever such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? As I touched on in a previous episode, The Empty Cross, Jesus did not die just from the physical pain of the crucifixion process, but because this Son, this Prince of Peace, and this Lamb of God had to be decoupled from his father, the king of creation, and take upon him all the vile, hurtful, spiteful, dark, and evil sons across every human, across the expanse of human existence, on and in him. I am convinced that this was the worst death any human could or can ever experience. And while the physical aspects to the torturous process of a Roman crucifixion was one of, if not the worst, way to be put to a slow death, we contend that nothing can be compared to what happened in the spirit and soul of Jesus. Yes, Jesus, the Son of God, one member of the triunity with God the Father since before the creation of the world, and even as an incarnation, the Gospels make it clear that he was one with the Spirit, and that he was in the Father, and the Father was in him. And yet on the cross, the Father had to decouple from Jesus. Why? Well, as we learned way back in the story of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, God cannot dwell or cohabitate with sin. It is why Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. Adam had let his right relationship with God become fractured. And here we see Christ on the cross, no longer his son, but the Lamb of God. He was about to become like an animal sacrifice, a sacrifice for all mankind. Why Isaac continues in lines one and two of the fourth stanza, his dying crimson, like a robe, spreads o'er his body on the tree. You see, his physical death was not enough. So Jesus 
as he became the second Adam, had to be separated from God the Father. As the true horror, agony, and anguish of having all those sins of man across the span of history and into the future, all the most vile, disgusting, foul, nasty, unpleasant, horrid, dreadful, abominable, offensive, odious, unsavory, repulsive, repelling, wicked, evil, heinous, villainous, diabolical, fiendish, vicious, murderous, barbaric, cruel, dark, rotten, nefarious, monstrous, spiteful, and hurtful actions ever committed was placed on and in Jesus. It is simply unimaginable. The Romans engineered a crucifixion to take a day or two for someone to die, but the gospel account says it took about six hours, a very short time for this type of execution. And as I said, I'm not alone in my contention that his spirit simply could not withstand the evil and the sin that Jesus had to internalize. As I said, it shredded his spirit, crushed his soul, and broke his heart. In lines three and four of the fourth stanza, Isaac Watts then continues to say, Then I am dead to all, the globe, and the globe is dead to me. My first reaction to that is, when nothing else matters, then nothing else matters. When I talk to folks about God, sometimes someone tries to get me to change my perspectives or sow seeds of doubt. I have never moved. I may not be perfect, but I know who I am in Christ. I don't need to overthink it. I just be myself and share the gospel during divine appointments that the Holy Spirit reveals to me. And I do so in my own way. But I feel Isaac Watts is talking about something deeper. Jesus in John 15, 18-19 says, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And moreover, Jesus, when being interrogated by Pilate, said, My kingdom is not of this world. The kingdom is from another place. And it seems that this globe... The kingdom of God is all that matters. In lines one and two of the last stanza, Isaac Watts writes, Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were present far too small. These lines say a lot if you think about it, but what matters the most is the simplest. There is nothing you can make, earn, inherit, win, buy, or acquire that you can give. Nothing would be worthy of the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. All we have left is gratitude. May our life, every moment of it, be tinged with grateful and eternal perspectives that will inspire others to ask, where are you heading? In the last few lines of the stanza, Isaac Watts writes, Love so amazing, so divine, demand my soul, life, my all. Isaiah 41.10 states, God says he will go before you always. Well, if God goes before us in every situation, then every situation is different or should be perceived of as 
different than before you manifest or apply that scripture. God is always a step ahead, even when life makes us feel we've been left behind. This is a higher divinity. A love so deep inspires us to love and die all of our back to him. And when you do, it frees you to trust God, to truly trust him. No matter the situation, we can give our all in every situation because we've been freed to see the eternal perspective of God through every moment of our life. If Jesus died so we can be with him in eternity, then nothing we go through here on earth should ever discourage us again. Even when we grieve the death of a loved one, we can filter it through the lens of eternity and heaven. How much more if you die? Well, to be absent from this world is to be present with Christ. And yet, a hypothetical like, what is your perspective of dying, is not the question Isaac Watts is asking here. The question is, how will you live? How will you live in a grateful and eternal perspective? What difference will it make when you go through tough and terrible times? It seems that the one day of the year most believers truly grapple with this is on Good Friday and especially Easter. But just like some people say about Christmas, why can't every day be like Easter Day? You can walk, live, and move in the truths of this hymn. Just believe it. Today, if you are having a hard time with these concepts, allow me to encourage you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you, to enlighten you around these perspectives. Today, and read. Read the Bible. Read the Bible more. And not just to read it like a novel or an article. Take the time, make the time to meditate and contemplate on the light of these concepts today. Speaking of light and modern photography, I have many technological tools to aid in automatically achieving sharp focus. Yet the problem remains, what if the subject I wish to be truly in focus is not in the camera's focal target spot? What if there are too many other lesser subjects competing for the attention of my main subject? For me, it means going off autopilot to go off automatic focus and switch to a manual setting, putting thought into my focusing on what is important to recompose and capture the image as I pre-visualize the scene. The application is that there's a lot of white noise competing for our attention. Hundreds of years ago, it was new books, and now we have the internet. So many things that compete for our life. But it comes down to what is important to you. It may help to purposely go off the autopilot setting of your life and to manually focus on the important subject of our spiritual life, the life of Christ and the message of the cross. If you are a Christian, have you been living in this perspective? Might I suggest you make the intention to die to your mind-based self and to commit 
to make the intention to stay in the awareness of and walk in the spiritual side as much as possible today? And if you have not accepted the incredible sacrifice Jesus made for you, then I suggest you contemplate on what he did for you, both on Good Friday and on Easter, asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and heal the painful parts of your mind. Ask Jesus to come into your heart today. And with that, go in grace, and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program heard every week on Chico Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image that inspired this devotional, The Focus, along with my other Verspirations, then check out robholt.inspires on Instagram. And if you would like to learn about the Cross products or hear about other Cross podcasts and blogs, then log on to robbyholt.com. That is R-O-B-B-Y-H-O-L-T dot com.